Good evening, and thank you for tuning in to the You Thought Sportscast, where we have a special episode with a five-man panel. We'll be discussing a lot of football today. I'm Jared Ludecker, casting alongside regulars Lucas Mason-Moyer and Aiden Lewis. And today, as I said, we have not one but two special guests. You may remember Bartos Janchuk from last week, who is joining us again. Bart, welcome back. Thank you, guys. I'm, I'm glad to hear that I evidently passed my interview last week. Uh, thank you for having me again. Unlike Montana Giordano, <laughs> that was only the first round interview, Bart. We we have several several rounds here. You know, four. It's five a seven part. It's job. a seven part process. Yeah. Okay, yeah. well, let's let's get it on part two, I guess. And then this week we have loyal friend of the pod and my twin brother joining Wyatt Ludecker. Wyatt, thank you for joining and welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Uh, first time caller, long time listener. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. So, guys, we're going to kick it off with the college football national championship game. Obviously, with a great capping off of Joe Burrow's season and LSU season with a win in the championship game. Spoiler alert if you haven't seen it yet. Sorry. <laughs> um, but before, before we even get into that, though, you know I was keeping track of the bowl predictions that uh, Lucas Aiden and I did ages ago. Yep. Yeah, you and probably shouldn't have, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> I shouldn't have, because unfortunately, Aiden won with a record of 27-14. and 14. And for you listeners who are keeping track, it did come down to the championship game, and where I picked Clemson and Aiden picked LSU. But Aiden wins at 27-14, and 14, uh, me at second place and 26 at, at 26-15. and 15. And then Lucas, not too far behind at 23-18. and 18. He started to hey. agree with me and Aiden at the end. So. <laughs> Which that was in out. his best interest, yeah. You know, he That's up. just what we're here for, the agreement. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, um, Lucas, I just want to hear your thoughts first on what you thought of the game. I mean, I think it really showed LSU's strengths as a team. You know, they got down early, but that offense just caught absolute fire. Joe Burrow was... I don't know, his wonderful self. And I think it just showed sort of like the tenacity and the strength that they had all season to like get through hard games. I saw a stat today, um, and I just confirmed it, that of the fi- the top eight teams in the final rankings, they beat five of them this year, which I think is truly remarkable with wins over Clemson, Georgia, Florida, Oklahoma, and Alabama. They beat five of the top eight teams. And I mean, even amongst all those good teams they were just excellent like they rallied back their defense held strong after letting trevor lawrence kind of run over them those first couple drives and i was just i don't know there's not much more to say joe burrow completing one of the best seasons in college football history lsu completing maybe one of the best seasons in college football history yeah i know preseason poll rankings aren't all that valuable but i saw that they were the only team ever to beat all four of the top four teams in the preseason polls, and they beat them by an average of 21 points, which is pretty absurd. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, shout out Coach O, too. Just, like, he really just found his groove. I think I read a couple of articles about him today just to sort of, like, get a grasp of who he was because my only real impression of him was, the, you know, the gruff-talking, crawfish-eating <laughs> Louisiana guy. And like he said, like, he knew, like, the last two coaching gigs he had, Ole Miss and USC, like, they didn't work out, but he's like, I'm so much better for it. Like, I learned from my mistakes. I learned how to manage a team. And I think something like that is really encouraging because so often you hear, like, it's just, like, the whizzes that come in, like, the, the Lincoln Rileys of the world and stuff like that. And just, like, 
like the college football world on fire, but he's somebody who like worked through the process, learned from his mistakes, and then like reached the pinnacle of college football, which I thought was really cool. LSU just felt like a team of destiny. It just felt yeah. like they there's no way they could have lost this year. Not no way at all. And Joe Burrow, just real quick, he has so much swag. It's it's unmatched compared to any quarterback I've ever seen. If you just watch him in like the post game interviews, he just he immenses that it factor that everybody's looking for. Yeah, a couple of moments like when he threw the touchdown at the end of the third quarter and he goes over to Coach Owen and just like points to his right. ring finger yeah. and says nothing else. He's doing that handshakes on the. That was cocky. I loved it. I love it. Yeah, I loved it too. He's a good bounce. Yeah. yeah. I saw people saying that they would still prefer uh, Trevor Lawrence over Joe Burrow. Like, even what? regardless of age. I, I was like, yeah, Joe Burrow just feels like he's got it. And I don't know if I would say the same thing about Trevor yeah. Lawrence. Yeah. Also, Joe Burrow yeah. is cocky, but he's also very likable. I feel like his story is very yeah. likable. He came up from pretty high beginnings. You know, yeah. yeah, and when he was talking after the game, he was talking about, like, the, you know, the staff at LSU or just, like, like the kitchen staff and all the people. Like, he seems like a good guy at the heart of it. Anybody you know, who cries confident. during the Heisman speech yeah. is a good guy. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. That's Every, my bar. Yeah. Everybody cries, and, and, after their Heisman speech. Like, Jameis, Jameis Winston cried probably at his Heisman speech. Everybody probably loved him then. Good guy. Can we fact check that? <laughs> yeah, I, I get fact checked every episode why I'm pretty much <laughs> um, and anybody who can throw for like 76% in a season two is a pretty good quarterback mm-hmm. as well. That, that stat just still blows me away, yeah. like every time I see it. And, and most touchdowns in a season two. Granted, he had 15 games, but still. Yeah, and honestly, what a ridiculous turnaround for LSU's passing game from last year to this year. It's, I mean, Joe Burrow threw 17 touchdowns last year, 16 or 17. LSU averaged 32 points a game, and this year averaged 48 points a game. That's it's a ridiculous turnaround. And that's Coach O. He brought in Joe Brady, who is like a known great passing game coordinator yeah. who just left for the Panthers offensive coordinator job. Yeah. But the, the one year Panthers that he worked be good on next Joe Burrow. Year. Yeah. 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 So No, I think I saw a stat that Joe Burrow counted for sixty two touchdowns this year. And Michigan State, the last two years combined, their offense has accounted for 55 touchdowns. <laughs> so just like <laughs> to put that in perspective. Like, not that Michigan State is, like, this great football <laughs> team, but Calling still. out Michigan State. Yeah, yeah just come for their life in particular. <laughs> exactly. They were going through the list of teams, and they are just like, Michigan State, that's what we're going to take. <laughs> you think it's the best college football season ever? From any quarterback? I can't think I've of seen a people one. compare it to, like, wait, wait. Uh, Cam Newton's 2010 run. Um, obviously, you could look back at any of, like, the Tebow days, um, but <laughs> is it the best of all time? It's pretty dark. I would good. say yes. Yeah. yeah. I think so. I mean, to be... Definitely the best I've seen. Yeah. I... Five of the top eight teams is ridiculous. Uh, like, I... I don't know. I mean, rec- recency bias is a thing, and I would need to, like, actually go back and watch yeah. the games in previous seasons. I do think people have a valid argument, though, when they say that Cam might have been better just because he was, like, the only relevant player on that Auburn offense, and he yeah. still carried them to an uh, undefeated season. <laughs> like, literally not a single one of the other players uh, played an NFL snap. Uh, is what I've really? been told. So it's crazy. <laughs> Whereas, like, obviously LSU is stacked, right? But it's still, I still think Joe Burrow is better. But yeah. I, I'm just saying, I think you would need to go back and actually, like, really analyze some of the older tape. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's fair. It could be greatest team season. It could be greatest team yeah. season. And yes, greatest I think it could be greatest team season. That's, that's really hard to argue against. Like, yeah. 
Yeah. Why? What were you gonna say? I would say this LSU team could probably beat a, uh, the, probably the Cincinnati Bengals. Joe Burrow's for Joe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Exactly. Yeah. 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 The Browns. Oh. My, my high school Every... team could beat the Bengals. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. Shout out Egan. Anyway. No, like, <laughs> yeah. Before we get too carried away, I think we're gonna I'm talking about high school teams beating the Bengals. We're just gonna go straight <laughs> into the NFL using that that little transition. Um, so we're going to look at the Vikings 49ers game first. Bart being the resident Vikings fan, we had to go to him for the first look on this game. What do you, What's your thoughts on this one, Bart? Oh, man. My thoughts are I don't want to talk about it. I'm kidding. I'm here to talk about <laughs> it. But it was bad, man. I came into the game actually a little bit optimistic after the Saints win. But I don't know. It, at the end, it, it, the 49ers are just a very, very talented team. And in particular, you really saw the difference between their – uh, offensive and defensive lines compared to the Vikes. They just manhandled the Vikings on both sides of the ball there. Like, the Vikings could not get their running game going, which is obviously pivotal. They, like, had constant pressure on Kirk Cousins. And then in the other direction, they literally – they had, like, what, 14 straight run plays against the Vikings at one point or something like that, and they just could mm-hmm. not get stopped. Yeah. It was absurd. So, yeah, it, it was just like – it was like men competing against children is, is what it felt like. <laughs> I, I turned the game off before it was even over because it was just – it was embarrassing. Very well played by yeah, the Niners, I, though. I'm, I'm excited to see them in the NFC Championship, for sure. Yeah, and I think the Niners especially, like you talked about it, but not only their like defensive line play was on full display, but like just their talent across their entire defense. Like The one time they threw it, Richard Sherman, he picked the ball off. And I mean, <laughs> I know it's just like a thing you don't do, but... I, was they that were because Adam Thielen like, gave up on the route? Maybe, but... <laughs> Maybe. Still, but. Yeah. yeah, still. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, I think, like you said, I don't have a ton more to add. They were just leaps and bounds better than the Vikings, which I hate to say, all my students were massively disappointed on Monday coming into class. But yeah, <laughs> I just, yeah such is life. I think someone's got to keep an eye on Bill Belichick and make sure he's okay. After watching Jimmy Garoppolo go five for six, we're completing <laughs> with two, four different receivers and a touchdown on the opening drive. I, I hope he's doing okay today. <laughs> Yeah, he's stuck with Jared Stidham if Tom Brady leaves. Hey, dude, Brady's still got ten more years in him. I swear. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you said forty-five. I heard they yeah, was updated to fifty-five. Yeah. It's gonna. It's gonna keep going. I love the um, running back um, by committee style that the the San Francisco 49ers has. They just seem like they're leaps and bounds better than everybody. Kyle Shanahan's a great play caller. Um, I mean. Again, like I said, Jimmy Garoppolo is great. This defense is great. Nick Bosa is probably the best rookie in the last ten years. I want to say ever, but I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna go that far. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, they're just all around. Yeah. They're a complete team. I, I don't see them losing. Yeah, it'll they help that they're at home next round too. At this point, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So. I, I really want to see a, a Niners Chiefs Super Bowl just to see Shanahan versus Andy Reid, like two I do. offensive masterminds, basically. Yeah, uh-huh. that would be a thriller. Yeah. Oh, I just want to see Andy Reid win the Super Bowl. <laughs> oh, go ahead. <laughs> no, I was gonna say I'd love to see like a sixty fifty one Super Bowl. Um, yeah. Speaking of potent offenses and a potent offense that got shut down. We're going to transition over to the Titans-Ravens game. The Titans' magic continues, um, and we're going to have Aiden kick off this discussion. Give me your first impressions, Aiden. Yeah, I mean, one, Derrick Henry, still ridiculous, still a beast, can carry a team, um, even though Ryan Tannehill is honestly like, pretty formidable. The, the other bigger thing is that 
Like, is it that simple to, you know, stifle the Ravens' offense? I mean, it was pretty much just stopping his Lamar Jackson's running attack, making sure that he, you know, didn't get out of the pocket, didn't didn't scramble too much. Because when he was, when the Titans, you know, kept him contained, which they did pretty much the whole game, like his just throwing attack was not good enough. Like it was, it was not enough against a Titans pass defense that isn't that good. I think it's it's like twenty fifth in the league or something. So it makes you wonder whether this is just a, a weakness that'll keep showing up in Lamar Jackson's game like next year, um, or if uh, this was just some kind of fluke. Yeah, I think the pressure might have gotten to him a little bit. It's just like I think he was in a great regular season. Like I think he's got a great future ahead of him as like a quarterback for a lot of years to come. But I think I don't know maybe the burden of expectation of being the one seed, having probably an MVP season, and then just going into that first playoff game. Like, because even in college, he never really played on, like, the highest level. Um, I mean, like, Louisville was good. I think they climbed up the rankings sort of in the top ten in his Heisman year, but he never really had to play in, like, the big, big game. So I think maybe it's just the stage got to him. He wasn't able to, I don't know, trust himself as much as he could in lower stakes regular season games. Yeah, I mean, like, Drew Brees didn't win his first playoff game until his sixth season, I think. Peyton Manning is, like, fifth. So it's it's not that uncommon for quarterbacks mm-hmm. to just kind of take a while in the playoffs, I guess. Yeah. But also, I feel like he like their number one need this offseason has to be wide receiver, right? Like, he needs some yeah. help. Because uh, I don't think it's totally – like, the, like the, there were a lot of drop passes, I think, yeah. from what I remember. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. like, it's not all on him. Yeah, and I think there was a lot of injuries too. Mark Ingram was hurt. I think his lack of availability in the backfield really um, stuttered or stunted the play calling. And then Mark Andrews, who is their number one wide receiver, he's a tight end, but he didn't look as good. He was he was kind of slow, didn't have any explosiveness to him. Uh, it it kind of just felt like everything came crumbling down around them at the worst time. But I agree. They have to get a number one wide receiver. There's a bunch of role players, a bunch of, like, burners, but they don't have a guy that they can count on outside of Mark Andrews. And, of course, when Mark Andrews goes down, what what else are they going to do? But, like, it is still worth mentioning that they were – they outgained the Titans by, like, 230 yards. <laughs> still, like, despite that. So, yeah, I think they just missed every fourth down conversion. Yeah. Is honestly what it came down to. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, yeah, and another yeah. – again, kind of as Aiden – mentioned a super underwhelming performance again from Tannehill which and it doesn't and it doesn't matter and they're still winning the games which is pretty crazy but one thing to look at with Lamar in in terms of playoffs and big games uh, it reminded me Lucas of the the he had that big game against Clemson in 2016 when it remember when Louisville and Clemson it was a big game that year and they and that Louisville go like stepped out Lamar Jackson's stat line for that game 27 for 44 passing 290, 295 yards, but only one touchdown and one pick. Granted, he did have two rushing touchdowns, but um, it seems like in big games he is having a little bit of trouble getting his passing game going. In yeah. terms of and like Bart said, that might just be something which comes with time, yeah. too, like with the breeze. And like, I think it's just something you need to get used to and like having such little experience playing in big games. Mm-hmm. Like, I think he'll be fine going forward. Um, going back to your Tannehill comment, too. I think it just, like, speaks volumes about Derrick Henry that they've been able to win their first two playoff games, and he's thrown for under 100 yards in both games. Yeah. I think he's the first I think he's the first quarterback in NFL history, or at least in the modern era, to win two playoff games while throwing under 100 yards in each. Which, yeah. I mean, like, absurd. whatever works, works. Like, Derrick Henry's a beast and can just carry that offense. Like, Tannehill's, like, 
not a great quarterback, but like a perfectly like replacement level, maybe slightly above average quarterback. Yeah. But the fact that they don't even need to use him at all <laughs> and can just win is really impressive. I, I disagree that he had a disappointing game. I think I think he had a pretty he had an efficient game. 88 yeah. yards and two touchdowns on no. seven passes. Are you kidding me? Yeah. <laughs> but that was, they don't that ask was much 50%. of him, and he's good for that. Like, within the yeah. role yeah. that they place him in, he's the quarterback for this, to be honest. Like, he's good enough for this Titans team, I think, if they're relying so heavily on Derrick Henry. Like, if this was a pack attack, pass attack offense, like, he's not your guy. But Shout out to Marcus Mariota, too, for having that one play where he <laughs> got out of the way and then Derrick Henry threw a touchdown pass. Yeah. yeah. That was, See, that's that my good. point, Wyatt. Uh-huh. Wyatt is Ryan Tannehill only had one more touchdown than a running back did. Passing. <laughs> <laughs> he, 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 was 50, he was 50%. I don't know How many passes did Ryan Tannehill get from the one-yard line? <laughs> <laughs> he did. I mean, that the um, number 81, what Johnu Smith did have that ridiculous butt cheek catch. You know, we were deci- hmm. dissecting that the butt cheek rule over on that one when they were reviewing it. <laughs> so He got help from his receivers. That's what I'm going to say. <laughs> I think he's the best quarterback in the playoffs. <laughs> yeah. That's, what's like Hot no. takes That's what your rant is. Yeah, I heard Wyatt's rant is about. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Um, next, next, we're gonna get into the really exciting Texans Chiefs game. Obviously, the Chiefs with a great comeback in that one. Two great quarterbacks going at it. Um, Wyatt wanted to start off this one, so we're gonna mm-hmm. go with Wyatt to start off, to kick off the discussion. What do you got? So Patrick Mahomes proved to everyone that he's the best quarterback in pro football after leaving, leaving the Chiefs offense on seven consecutive scoring drives in their comeback victory. Bill O'Brien proved that he is highly unable to lead a football team to the Super Bowl. This, this should have been a blowout <laughs> victory from the very beginning. Had Kansas City not had those early drops, the muff punt, a couple other mistakes, the Texans would have had a chance to, to be in that. Uh, so they set a record, the Texans did, set a record for the most points allowed in franchise history in a playoff game. And then Houston is the most underachieving team in all of football. And Bill O'Brien should be fired. Whoa. <laughs> and yet Deshaun, Deshaun Watson was like, Bill O'Brien is definitely the coach for us. Oh, those reports <laughs> were ruthless. They were asking, they're like, you think you can really lead this team to Super Bowl? But of course he had to say yes, but they were really going at him. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah. When you think about if if uh, because I think there were like a couple dropped passes on third downs. Mm -hmm. There was the blocked punt and then the muffed punt. If none of those things had happened, the Texans would have yeah would have been absolutely just like run off the field in this game. It's absurd. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, because they basically were quarters two through four. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They they had a twenty a twenty four zero lead. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Twenty four zero. Oh man. Yeah. How do you? And some of the they relinquished that by halftime. Yeah, it's just they didn't even take the Chiefs um, until halftime to make the adjustments to beat the Texans. But Bill O'Brien kicked a field goal in fourth and one. He had the fake punt in fourth and four, which was terrible. And then he almost went for it. I think uh, I think they went for it. He almost went for it on another fourth and four in the fourth quarter when they were down three scores, and they were and they had to blow a timeout to change the play call. It just it just doesn't seem like he is capable. Of, of leading that team. There are plenty of other people that could, that should, that should take over that role. Yeah. With kicking on the fourth and one and then the, the fake punt, it seemed like he couldn't make up his mind if he wanted to be aggressive with the lead or not. Like, mm-hmm. like those were two very different plays. Like one was riskier than the other. And he went for the fake punt, which was from his own, what 30. 
Like, yeah. I guess, I don't know if he was trying to compensate for not having, you know, gone for it on fourth and one, but just weird play calls. And I don't know if that's what did them in. Like, I think it was kind of, might have just been inevitable, mm-hmm. the Chiefs coming back. But it was Patrick Mahomes did them in. Yeah. Okay. yeah, that is that is fair. <laughs> not to mention the fact that Deshaun Watson was running for his life once the Chiefs started mm-hmm. going on their run. They yeah. Like, you, I think you said this last week, Bart, they can't protect mm-hmm. him. He's, mm-hmm. he's, oh, he's taking so many hits. Obviously, the Texans started hurting themselves with all the penalties. And Wyatt, returning to your point on Bill O'Brien, it's, it actually is kind of interesting because when he got hired from Penn State, he was 8-4 and four and 7-5. and five. Like, which is, And Penn State's a good program. Like, obviously, he took over with they had the scholarship um, stuff with Joe Paterno. But, like, he's, he's not, he hasn't been really, like, crazy good anywhere he's been. No, they're more disappointing than the Cowboys, I think. I think they should they should already be in the conversation for a Super Bowl and I and I mean Deshaun Watson is a top five quarterback he could be a top five quarterback in the league and he's just getting let down. Yeah, no, this offseason, so okay. Whereas the Ravens should be looking at a receiver, the Texans should definitely be looking at linemen, right? But I also think if the if the Texans like cared at all, they would fire Bill O'Brien and then be doing whatever it takes. To get the Chiefs' offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy, or how do mm-hmm. you say his name? Yes, because mm-hmm. he's yeah he's uh-huh. he's incredible too, and like that he would pair so well with Deshaun Watson. Uh, whereas yeah, Bill O'Brien is like trash. So <laughs> yeah, so I had to think and guys it. who good yeah, and guys who coach under Andy Reid have gone on to have like very successful head coaching careers mm-hmm. as well. Um, off the top of my head, Doug Peterson going to the Eagles, winning a Super Bowl. <laughs> John Harbaugh, an assistant under Andy Reid. Mm. Um, when he coached for the Eagles, like there's two Super Bowl winning coaches already who have transitioned from Reed's assistants into head coaches. I know that's not like a perfect correlation, but I mean, but, they, yeah, they've but there's letting, definitely you know, something him, there. Yeah, they've started. Yeah, they've started letting him calling plays for the Chiefs, and like, I mean, you saw this weekend their offense was incredible. So yeah, I'm with you there, Bart. I think if they really want to take the next step, Bill O'Brien, not to, you know, make it about college, um, or bring it back to college, but he feels that, like kind of a hardball type coach in which he can like get them part of the way there Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or even a Brian Kelly, but like they need somebody else to take them to the next level and like really access the talent that they have. Took that for the Warriors. I mean, poor Mark Jackson, but Mm -hmm. Steve Kerr was the guy to take him over. It could be the same case. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, that's true. Definitely. Yeah. Good parallel. All right. Moving on to the last NFL playoff game we had this weekend, the Seahawks Packers. Russell Wilson's back is going to be very is probably really sore right now because the team was on it uh, during the entire game. Um, Lucas, we're going to start with you. Um, what what were your, some of your takeaways from this game? I think um, the thing that sort of made the difference for the Packers because um, I think they were the less like objectively skilled team of the two of them. Though people have been making that argument all year that the Packers don't reflect how good their record is, but they're just a very efficient team um, on third downs of six or more yards to go they were six for nine which is really impressive um and i think that efficiency of being able to convert on third down and just extend their drives and extend the play pushed the game in their favor in a way in which the skill level might not have matched and plus aaron Rodgers, though not the most impressive stat line was also very efficient got the job done i think sort of efficiency is the story for the packers as opposed to like great skill or flair like a great offense and i think while the I think they'll probably lose to the 49ers in the championship. I think there's something to be said for the way they go about games, execute what they need to do, and can win that way. I mean, it's very impressive, if not flashy, style of winning. 
under Matt LaFleur, for, former Notre Dame quarterbacks coach under Brian Kelly. It's fun. That Brian Kelly coaching tree. Whew. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that pipeline, yeah. Yeah, to go with what you said, Jared, though, about Russell Wilson carrying the team on his back, he kind of needed to, like, as soon as they did go all in on Russell Wilson's back, that's when the Seahawks' comeback started. Like, it was 21-3 at halftime, and they were still trying to get that running game going, but Marshawn Lynch, like, it just, it wasn't happening. And then the second half, they really relied on that pass attack, and they almost came back. So that was kind of their their best option, to be honest. Yeah, I do want to say the Seahawks got a stud in DK Metcalf. Having him and Tyler Lockett, mm-hmm. it, it bodes very well for them moving forward. But yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they clearly are still missing some pieces. Yeah, like mm-hmm. I said last week, they came in hurt. <laughs> yeah, I think the Seahawks. Are, I my I was so bored of this game. I, I, it was a good game, but I think the Seahawks and the Packers are both kind of two teams that win ugly. I mean, they said it all year. The Packers have said it all year that they just have to win games ugly sometimes. And I just, I think it's, I feel like the Seahawks play the same game every single week. Um, of course, they ended on a controversial call. And <laughs> and I got my, my buddy, he's a huge Seahawks fan. He sent me a blurry screenshot and said, there's no way this was a first down. And the line, the line wasn't even close. It, it was yeah. definitely a first down. Well, there's some. No, I think there's an angle where it doesn't look like it's first down, but there's angles where it does. Yeah. Look. But how come they don't have the angle where it does look like a first down? How come every time they need a, a different camera angle, they don't have that one angle? And it happens. <laughs> That's so true. Like, it, they, they never have They're the camera on. angle that that sees exactly what you look for. Yeah. It was a classic stands not coming. Yeah. 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 Yes. Yeah. Very much stands. God. It was it was really frustrating, like you like you said, Lucas. From from a Seahawks standpoint, it was really frustrating to see how we they could never stop the Packers on third down, especially on that last drive. Yep. Devontae Adams mm-hmm. like just shredded them, and he had, he had like one catch where he caught it and re- stopped, reversed field, and ran it in for a touchdown. Like the corner, mm-hmm. the secondary played really bad, unfortunately for the Seahawks. So. Yeah, the, the Legion of Boom is long gone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. They were all on playoff teams. Earl Thomas and the Ravens lost, but mm-hmm. Richard Sherman with the Niners now. So mm-hmm. I don't know, but mm-hmm. it's frustrating to see. I, I would like to see though if if the Seahawks had like CJ Prosize and all those guys back, what that game would have looked like because they were they run from volume more than Marshawn Lynch is like a red zone guy. It would be interesting. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Pete Carroll really needs to just like. Re- do some self-reflection and realize that they need to pass more. I mean, as long as you have Russell Wilson, yeah. you should literally be competitive in every game, but they want to be a run first team mm-hmm. for yeah. God knows what reason. I think Russell Wilson calls the plays. Yeah. I'm not sure Pete Carroll does anything. Every time I see Pete Carroll, he just stands there. He doesn't he have pretty, uh, yeah. any paper. He doesn't, he just, he's staring up there. Um, there's plenty of mic'd up clips of Russell Wilson saying, he's like, put in, put in Marshawn Lynch. He's like, we're, we're going to throw it to DK. Those are the kind of things I feel. I don't know if Pete Carroll actually does anything. I think he just stands there now. He's a culture guy. <laughs> he's a motivation guy. He's a culture guy. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. He's a culture guy, yeah. The chewing gum culture. <laughs> that's all Russell Wilson can hear in his headset. That's why they lost, is he can't hear anything. It's just chewing gum. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Looking ahead to next week, um, 
first wanted to give everybody, because you know we're keeping track again with predictions, uh, <laughs> of our predictions from last week. Aiden, again, so smart at 3-1, and one, only got one game wrong. And then me, Lucas, and Bart at 2-2. Two and two, And Wyatt undefeated at 0-0. Zero, zero. <laughs> um, <laughs> So we're gonna look. We're gonna look first at the AFC Championship game. Um, obviously, in that one, got the Titans and Chiefs. Um, Bart, we'll start with you. What's your prediction on that one? What are you looking for? Uh, so what I think. So okay. So we saw that the Ravens racked up a ton of yardage. They just kind of fell flat with their fourth downs. I think the Chiefs will actually expose the the Titans defense and actually score points on their drives. So I I would like to see a shootout of some sort. But I think the Chiefs take this one. Well, these are the two best quarterbacks remaining in the playoffs uh, going at it. I think the <laughs> Titans are actually a really complete team. It, I, I want to pick them. I think in my heart I want to pick them, but I want to see how they play from behind, and I don't think that running Derrick Henry 500 times is going to be able to win games when they're playing be- behind by a couple scores. Um, I think this is the start of Patrick Mahomes' great legacy where he wins his first championship. So I'm picking the Chiefs. Yeah, I'm picking the Chiefs as well. Aiden mentioned before that the Titans have like a bottom half passing pass defense, and I think going against arguably the most prolific passer in the NFL, I think they can keep it close. I think they can keep it competitive, but I think ultimately the Chiefs will win by a touchdown or two. Yeah, I, I think I'm going with the Titans on this one. This may be a pick for my heart, to be honest. Ooh. Yeah, I, it, it also might be that I went chalk last week and I still feel guilty about it, um, but... <laughs> I think, well, the, the Titans already beat the Chiefs in the regular season. Obviously, that's different. But they've shown that they can keep up with them. Derrick Henry ran over the Chiefs the first time. I think he'll continue to do so. And, yeah, Lucas is right that the Titans' pass defense is not good. But it's better than the Texans' pass defense, which was 29th in the league compared to the Titans' 25th. So I think <laughs> they might be a little better suited. And I think it will definitely be close. And my heart says Titans. Yeah, I'm going with the uh, Chiefs in this one as well because I think, they, like Bart said, they convert more, not just yardage-wise, but in actually scoring. Um, and that they've done that in the playoffs, obviously, in their one game, <laughs> obviously. So I don't think the Titans' magic is going to continue. I'm going with the Chiefs. So. I do want to note, though, I saw the ridiculous. Some sports book released their odds for Super Bowl winners for next year. Mm-hmm. And there were like ten teams listed, and they didn't even have the Titans on the list. And they're the in the disrespect. Yeah, it's absurd. <laughs> exactly. I, mean, like, I don't think the Titans are going to win, but they're not. Like they're going to be good for a while now. Like, it's, it's yeah, start crazy. putting your twenty twenty one money on them now, today. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, do it. Hey, Marcus Mariota is going to come back next year. Uh, he'll <laughs> earn that quarterback spot back. Yeah. <laughs> Epic quarterback he'll, battle. He'll, yeah. he'll be wide open. Yeah, he'll be wide open on a pass and nobody will throw it to him. But yeah. <laughs> nobody can guard him. Exactly. Yeah, you, you can't guard him. <laughs> anyway, looking ahead now at the later game, the NFC Championship game, the 49ers and Packers. Seems like kind of a classic matchup for an NFC Championship game, too, actually. Um, Aiden, we'll start with you on this one. Who do you have? Yeah, I think this one is fairly simple given that the 49ers dominated the Packers uh when they came to San Francisco in the regular season it was 37 to 8 um I don't know if it'll be that much of a blowout but as we've said the you know Aaron Rodgers and the Packers like to win ugly and I don't think they can do it against the 49ers who are just a better team yeah my heart says Packers on this one but my head says 49ers I think 
They're just a complete team. Their offense and def- their offense and defensive fronts are just so good. I Aaron Rodgers has the edge of quarterback, but I think pretty much every other position you got to give it to the 49ers. So, I think I'm going to take the 49ers though. We were rooting for the Packers, rooting for Rodgers Mahomes Super Bowl, which would be fun, but State Farm would lose it. Touche. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, this one's an easy one. It's 49ers all the way. I, I have no other th- thoughts about it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think the 49ers are just objectively a more well-rounded team. So, 49ers. I agree the 49ers might be more well-rounded, but I'm going with the Packers. I think I'm. this is more of a gut one, but I remember the Seahawks having a, a an ugly win, you know, against the Packers, or I mean, uh, excuse me, against the 49ers, and I see the Packers doing something similar in this game. I think it'll be like kind of a sloppy game in the 20s, but the Packers will pull it off somehow. And and, and I want in a an all-state farm Super Bowl. I think that'd be, that'd be fun. <laughs> Mahomie, the Patrick Mahomie and Aaron Rodgers. How, how much did they pay you to say that? <laughs> State, <laughs> this, no, State Farm broke this whole Disclaimer league, that okay? we are not They're sponsored sure, by State yeah. Farm. <laughs> this episode is sponsored by Uber Copter... And State Farm. <laughs> oh, I, I want to say something about the Uber thing. Do you see they have a walking buddy now? Yes. They yeah, do. I did see that. Just called a walking Wait, how buddy. Do you, That's it. Does that seem kind of sketchy? If, uh, is that available in all cities? Like, if I go on Uber right now in Minneapolis, can I... Uh... I, I think I'm going to order a friend. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I, I saw a tweet. It was like, it was like a, an Uber to the, to LaGuardia or to JFK in New York. It was like 50 bucks. Walking buddy, eight bucks. Yeah. Like, he's going to walk across the city with you. That's, That's ridiculous. <laughs> all right. Thank you guys all for the predictions. I'll be watching closely, keeping track. Um, now we're going to end as we always do with our rants, introduce a new rant from Wyatt. He's going to give us something that he's very passionate about. I'm sure Wyatt, mm-hmm. take the floor. Uh, yeah, this one's an easy one that I'm passionate about. I think that we, uh, the NFL and the NCAA need to take a better look at those targeting calls. I think that the targeting call inside the Clemson game was egregious. Players tuck, players dive, players kind of shouldered themselves and I get it I, I as a runner I would definitely kind of duck down and make sure that I don't take a huge blow but on the other end what's the defender left to do quarterbacks milk out every last yard of a run and then they slide half a yard away from somebody a guy's diving maybe nicks the the quarterback in the head and then boom flag goes up in the air completely changes the drive I don't like it I think that they need to take a better look at it. I think that in the NFL, they need to have a slide rule, a two-yard slide window. And if he's not in those two-yard windows, he's, he's getting laid out. And then, of course, the NCAA, they have to, <laughs> they have to get rid of that automatic ejection. I, they gotta, that's, that's terrible. That's terrible. I agree. I think it is kind of poetic justice, though, that Clemson gets slapped without a targeting penalty because of the BS one in the Ohio State game. But yeah. I agree that it should be two-tiered. Two, two tiers, but yeah, and like people will say, oh, but that introduces subjectivity, but like it's already pretty subjective. So, so subjective, cares, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. If Trevor Lawrence's Agreed. body didn't leave his or soul leave his body in the Ohio State game, it would have been different. <laughs> they wouldn't have called that. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay, I'm gonna stay on the topic of football. Uh, 
and tying it back to the NFL playoffs. So this is something that bothered me a bit uh, after the Vikes got wrecked by the Eagles in the 2017 playoffs because Pat Shermer uh, very quickly was hired as the Giants coach that offseason. Uh, and this offseason, we lost our offensive coordinator again to the Browns literally a day after the game. So I'm just frustrated that you are allowed to interview coaches in the NFL during the playoffs when they are still coaching in the playoffs. It makes no sense. I mean, I understand that teams want to have their new coach in as quickly as possible to start prepping for the draft. But I mean, come on. It's like, you can't honestly say that coaches are are committing and concentrating 100% on a playoff game when they're also getting interviewed. And I mean, Stefanski might have known that he was going to be hired actually by the game. Which almost makes you wonder how much, you know, how how invested he was in it. So I just think they should push that back for everybody to after the Super Bowl and just make it less stressful. Yeah, yeah. I 100% agree. It's also funny that he like he was definitely hired before the the Vikes uh, 49ers game, but like <laughs> their offense yeah. did not have a good game. So <laughs> glad he kept the yeah, job. Th- their 150 yeah. yards of offense was not exactly like a great yeah. <laughs> indicator for how the Browns offense is going next year. But no, he's perfect for the Browns then. Yeah, no. uh, I saw a funny Bill Smith's tweet. He was like, "Oh, the the Browns knew they they got their guy when when they had when the Vikes had like seven three and outs." I will say though, for the coaching search, it'd be it's hard for teams from their perspective too because they wait for a guy that's in the playoffs, and they also have a guy that's not like coaching right now or whatever, and then like Urban, let's say Urban Meyer or Mike McCarthy for example this year, mm-hmm. and they want him but they also want the Vikings guy, they have to pick, mm-hmm. so they they have they try to interview both, you know what I mean? Like it, it, if they yeah. miss if they just don't choose to interview, if they choose to wait, then they'll miss out on Mike McCarthy. Or whatever, you know what I mean. Well, but if nobody could hire anybody until after the Super Bowl, then yeah. they yeah. wouldn't. Yeah, if there was no, just like a a win, you know yeah, that, freeze on you know hire. Just like free agents, though, you know, just agency. like the same. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. There's definitely, yeah, definitely exactly. be, be meddling. NBA yeah, free agency twelve oh one deals deals are getting made. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like, whoa, did that just happen? Yeah. There's no way they settled a whole contract in thirty seconds, but. <laughs> oh God. Okay. Well, I'm up next. I'm going to move away from from football, pretty far away from football, to baseball, uh, which this week we saw a pretty big scandal with uh, the Astros uh, stealing signs scandal. And it wasn't like the the fun stealing signs, like old-fashioned way, where they just like picked up on patterns. It was using a camera in center field. It was definitely sketchy. I saw Pete Rose condemning it today, so that's when you know something (laughs) is bad. It's bad. Um, But... Anyway, the casualties in this were Astros manager, A.J. Hinch, and the Astros GM, who both got suspended a year and then subsequently fired. Uh, and it looks like Alex Cora, the Red Sox manager, who was the bench coach at the time for the Astros, is also on his way out um, because he's going to be suspended. But I think that the issue here is that they're not suspending any players at all. And I get that it's difficult to figure out who of anyone uh, was, was involved, was most involved in the scandal. Um, but I think it's a pretty bad ex- example that the leadership gets punished, but not the players. It kind of makes it easy for players to do things because management told them to, and then kind of get the the slate wiped clean after it. And in this case, like I don't think all you know, twenty five members of the twenty seventeen Astros should be suspended now for a year or something. But they caught like specific players doing the sign decoding, um, including Carlos Beltran, the new Mets manager. Um, and I think 
they should be suspended for that. I think there should be some kind of consequence for, you know, maybe they weren't, you know, the brains behind this operation, but they were clearly part of it. And I think that should be enough to warrant some kind of punishment to them instead of the MLB just kind of like being like, oh, we took out the big guys. That's it. We're done. Do you think there should be any like larger organizational level punishment? Like, should they be forced to vacate their World Series or anything like that? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, the thing is, like, do we even treat vacated titles like they're vacated because i don't think of them as vacated you know like when they did that with yeah. reggie bush and they you know college does that plenty like i still think of those years as the team that won one so i'm not sure if it's that effective to do to vacate titles i mean it's just a symbolic thing um but but yeah i mean it does seem like this was a pretty if they were ever going to vacate a title, it's in the MLB. It seems like this could be it because it was very clearly happening during the World Series run, and that's a serious advantage. Knowing what pitch is coming, that's that's huge. So, yeah. not against it, but I'm not sure it actually does that much. Yeah, but you could, you could always do something like forward thinking too, like taking away draft picks or something. They did, yeah. They, yeah, they did. Do oh, they did. Yeah, they took away oh, okay. first and second round, I think, for the next two years, which in baseball is less than. Yeah. Um, it's less of an immediate impact than it would be in the NFL or NBA. But yeah, I, I don't know what exactly you could have done to seriously hurt the organization. But yeah, it's it does feel like a little like under underwhelming. But anyway, at least those coaches in Houston care, you know, they, they're trying to win. <laughs> yes. <games. laughs> Yeah, <laughs> they, <laughs> they wanted it. Okay, <laughs> you know, <laughs> they wanted it. If you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. Bill O'Brien should go to the Astros. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, wouldn't have to move. That'd be nice. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna transition into a little bit of a mixture of media and sports. My rant is just an angry rant about this ridiculous ten part documentary series on ESPN about the Chicago Bulls. I looked it up, and it's only about Michael Jordan's final season. And they're going to stretch out into a 10-episode documentary series, which is just so ridiculous. It's blatantly pandering to our desire. First off, I hate the ad because all it's doing is showing, oh, look at this big name we got in here. Just pandering to our desire to see celebrities talk, basically. Kind of the same in the same way that you want to see big-name actors. They were worried about that with 1917 that me and Wyatt saw this weekend. Ended up being a great movie. Um, but because there's no big name actors in it. So in this documentary series to advertise it, they show, look at all these big names instead of showing really any kind of content, just showing people sitting down for an interview. And as to why it needs to be 10 parts, the only reason is so that there's more advertising slots, really. Let's be honest. Does it like they needed an editor to cut that down? It does not need to be 10, a 10 part documentary series about one season that we already know about. Like I, maybe if it's a niche topic, I get it. But like, the, a super mainstream topic like Michael Jordan doesn't need a 10 part. It's I just think it's kind of ridiculous. Yeah, but j- just think about the nuance with which they can go into how much he <laughs> like completely intimidated and patronized his fellow teammates in practice yeah. every day. Mm-hmm. You know, they're going to get some really, really gritty details about that. And that was it's just Gen X holding up their basketball savior because they know LeBron is threatening his goat status. Yeah. So they got to do something to bring him back into the conversation. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, they, they just want Dennis Rodman on TV again to get sound bites, I feel like, too. Like, I feel like that's part of this, you know? Anyway. This is, this is all Continue. part of Dennis Rodman's Nobel Peace Prize run again. <laughs> <laughs> when they show the compilation in Stockholm of, like, all his, like, best moments leading up to the Peace Prize, this is going to be the cap. It's going to be a triumphant moment. Uh, I look forward to it. <laughs> Yep, and then last last little aside, I just want to talk about the disturbing trend of broadcasters employing really jerkly, faceless animation images of Joe Burrow knocking over quarterbacks with a dodgeball. Why did they need to do that? Why couldn't they just have put up a list? These are the quarterbacks he, be- he beat, but they had to put up some super weird dodgeball graphic with the average Joe's things on it. Some intern needed something to do, Jared, okay? You know, we all got we all got to pass the time. <laughs> It's it's a disturbing trend for the media sports world. That's all. <laughs> all right, so I think I'm last up with my rant. Um, for those of you uh, who were watching the College Football National Championship last night, you'll see uh, that at halftime they announced the 11 greatest college football players of all time. I'll just run through the list, give their little description, and then talk about what I'm going to rant about. So Jim Brown, running back from Syracuse, 54 to 56. Herschel Walker, running back from Georgia, 80-82. Bo Jackson, running back Auburn, 82-85. Archie Griffin, running back Ohio State, 72-75. Jim Thorpe, a century ago played. Red Grange played a century ago. Earl Campbell, Texas in the 70s. Dick Butkus, Illinois, 62-64. Barry Sanders, Oklahoma State in the 80s. Gail Sayers, uh, Kansas in the 60s. And last, Roger Staubach, Navy in the 60s. I think a couple things. One, good for the University of Illinois for getting two of the top 11 players ever. Um, unexpected. But two, I think that like in the way that we sometimes often emphasize a recency bias in sports, this they tried to like really self-correct against that. None of the top players have in college football history apparently have played in the last 30 years. And I just think that's just like patently untrue. Like as much as like... I am not the hugest fan of Tim Tebow. Like, the way that he played in Florida, the dominance he had on those teams, at least deserves some note up there. Uh, anybody on, like, the Pete Carroll teams, like the Reggie Bushes, the world, the Matt Liners, again, not my favorites, but there's no credit to any of those guys. The highest person that's played in our lifetime is Peyton Manning, who comes in at 21. And I know college football is... Uh, you know, a sport that's, like, steeped in history and stuff like that, and you got to respect that. But I think they didn't give enough credit to, like, the modern game and any of that in their rankings. And also not enough credit to Notre Dame. The highest Notre Dame player was Paul Horning, who was 27. So, I don't know. I just think the ranking system was flawed. And I know it's, like, it literally means nothing. It's just ESPN picking the best college football players of all time. But I think that they focus too much on tradition versus... I don't know, dynamic modern players and how they ranked it. No, but like we saw the NFL do the same thing with the top 100 recently, right? So and people had the exact same complaint that they overcorrected for recency bias. I think, yeah, like it goes back to how people always like complain about how do you figure out who the best NBA players are. You just literally can't because they've played in different eras. I think if you're going to do something like this, you have to break it down by like decade. Otherwise, it's just pointless. I think being like the greatest college football player of all time is like an above average consolation prize. 
I, I mean, what does Tim Tebow <laughs> care if he's the greatest college football player of all time or any of those guys on the list? I, I, wouldn't he rather be a better NFL player? And, and maybe that speaks to the fact that, like, college football back in when all these guys played was the more important sport. So it was, like, more valued and these guys were more lauded. Like, before, like, the Super Bowl era, like, the NFL was, like, people followed it and watched it. But college football was by far, like, the dominant sport. And so maybe it's something with that. Like, they want to pay tribute to, like, the golden era of college football when it was, like, the mainstay in American culture. But I don't know. Maybe there's something there. I want to say happy trails to two people. Uh, Jason Garrett, who is a free man today of January 14th. He is, his contract <laughs> has expired. Um, and then <clears throat> like 10 minutes before we started the show, Luke, Luke Keekley announced his retirement. So happy mm. trails to Luke Keekley. Uh, it's been a great really? NFL season. Yeah, so um, good luck in your future endeavors, Luke. Speaking of greats Friend of, of all pod. time, like one of the greatest linebackers of all time. Holy cow. Yeah, yeah. Pro Bowl seven of his eight years. And with that, uh, we're going to wrap up the show. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in, uh, listening to our rants about football. Uh, We'll see you next week.